0: Hi everybody, woo, that's loud. Um, My name is Jessamy Daniels. I am a covenant member at The Well and I serve on the welcome team as a greeter and I'm a part of the Soon to Multiply Soul Ave community group, which my husband John and I will be shepherding the new one. So we're really excited about that. Today I'm gonna be reading 2 Corinthians 9, verses six through 15. The point is this,
1: Great, um, I ask that every week, and if somebody was ever like, no, I don't know what I would do, <laughs> All right? Like, okay, Anthony then? All right. Um, Hey, we're continuing on our series in generosity today, uh, looking, as you can tell from the video, about joyful giving and a 30,000 foot overview from last week's sermon. In case you missed it, uh, I want to give us an overview, but also really encourage you to go back and uh, to watch that at some point, because really what we did last week, uh, the rest of the series will build off of the work that we did. And so it kind of sets up the context at large. So if you missed it, go watch it. And this will make a lot more sense as well. But as we're thinking about building the church, as we're thinking about impacting the world, as we're thinking about being disciples of Christ and making disciples of our King Jesus, part of the way that we do this is through our generosity and we practice generosity by using our time and our talents as unto the Lord, or in this series, specifically, using our treasures to worship God with. Within this, we think that part of our being disciples of Christ is us loving Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, and doing that in every area that He has called us to be obedient in, our giving, being one of those. And so we had a little tool that we showed last week that we'll throw up on the screen again this week as well. But thinking about the soul or the mind or the heart, there are different ways in which that we can really honor and worship God. And so last week, we thought about our strength or our actions or our obedience to do what God commands us to do. And today, we'll be looking at our joy or our emotions, our heart in the midst of this. Now, the heart is a really complex thing in Scripture In fact, it's used over a thousand times, and it's translated many different ways. When speaking about the heart, it's often involving our emotions or our feelings or our wills. For example, Psalm chapter 4, verse 7 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So that drunk dude that's eating good, he's slap happy. He's like, look, I feel better than that guy, (laughs) right? Like God interacts with our feelings or our emotions or our heart. Or Isaiah chapter 65, verse 14 says, behold, my servant shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart. So we see both positive and negative feelings associated with the heart here. Or 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 37, it says, in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him the things and his heart died within him and he became as stone. I'm not sure why I find humor in this, all right? It's like in the midst of a hangover, his wife comes and tells him something bad and then his heart dies within him, it says. It's like, dang, all right? But we see here that there's a lot of feeling involved in our heart. Now, throughout the scripture, the heart does not just involve our emotions. So every time you read heart, you kind of got to look at the context because there are other times where it's actually a representation of our soul or even our minds or kind of the seat at the center within us. But in Jesus' context, in the great commandment, when he says that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because the soul and the mind are involved in that, then we can conclude that Christ is talking about our feeling or our emotion here, our heart in that sense. You see, God has made us to be a people who feel because he has made us in his image, and he himself is a feeler. And so God wants us to interact with our feelings as well. And so today when we discuss loving God with our hearts in regards to our finances, we're thinking about emotions here. And I want to zoom in on the heart because I know the other one is a little bit difficult to read. But man, what are we feeling when we're thinking about our generosity? Once again, last week when we thought about our strength or our obedience, this is a really good thing that we should think about in our giving. But if left just to our obedience, I believe that it would corrupt us and turn us into Pharisees or it would leave us feeling condemned when we lack the measure of obedience that we ourselves think that we have to own up to because you need to employ all of them to actually truly worship God with all of yourself. And so isolating any of these areas, it's dangerous to an, uh, an extent. If we overfocus on one rather than employing them all then what we're in danger in is either expressing this liberty that kind of leads to emptiness or this law that leads to condemnation. However, we wanted to isolate each of these because we believe that it's the best way to explain how we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind and strength in our worship, particularly in our giving. And so how do we and why should we love God with our hearts or our emotions in our giving? Last week was the what we should be doing in a lot of ways, but this week is the how we should be doing it, what our heart's disposition is. As we dive into the text that Jessamy just read for us, it starts off in verse 6, and verse 6 sounds a lot like verse, uh, chapter 3 in Malachi in a lot of ways. And listen, as you read that, there's no trick in the Greek here, okay? As you give more, you get more. And so I told you last week that that was an Old Testament understanding. Well, that is a New Testament understanding as well. Now, in my church growing up, we were taught that as you give more money, you get more money, and this may not always be the case, as we see even in the Corinthian context in a second. But you definitely do receive when you give. You, maybe you receive more faith or more joy. Like the story I shared last week, when I gave, I ended up with a bank account of zero, but a faith account of a million and one is more important than the other. And so you don't always receive finances when you uh, give finances, but you do always receive. The Bible promises us that, and we must take God at his word. You see, at times you get financial blessing. I don't wanna mistake that. Even in the video, we saw that. Man, God has always provided for us financially, and that can be true. At other times you get spiritual blessing or friendship blessing or provisional blessing. But in whatever way it is, as you give, you get to see God move. You see, the principle is clear. You do not serve a stingy God. In fact, he himself wants to give, which is why we are called to be generous, because as we are giving, all we're doing is representing our God, who is a giver by nature, In fact, even as we talked about in our One Place series and our distinctive of how we share our faith, if we scatter barely, then we will reap barely. The same is true here in our finances. See, if we barely ever share the gospel, then why would we expect to see gospel fruits? Well, the same is true here. If we barely ever give out of our generosity, why would we expect to see fruits in this same sense? The more we scatter, the more we see when it's harvest time. And so the more we give, the more we get because you cannot outgive a God who owns all things. So Paul then, after laying this out in verse six, he then goes into the heart of it here in verse seven. He says, look, give generously and then look at all of the heart language that Paul has here He says, first of all, the bountiful blessing will come, that word bountifully there in verse 6. It's actually the word blessing, once again, which just means happiness. The Greek word for blessing, it means happy. So when you see Jesus say, blessed are those, he's really saying, happy are those. And so you sow happiness or blessing to others, then you get blessing or happiness in return. Our hearts should be engaged in this. In fact, he says, don't do it reluctantly. That Greek word reluctantly is two different words. It just means from grief are what those two words mean. So don't give from grief as if you are losing something or don't give under compulsion, which is the feeling of being forced into something right? Because God loves a what? Cheerful or a happy giver. And so God wants our hearts to be engaged as we are worshiping him. You see, we can have these negative feelings here of feeling grief or being forced or stinginess in our giving. Or we can have positive emotions of happiness or cheer or joy. And God obviously wants our joy. And so Paul encourages this. Listen, God is not a God that is like, you better do what I tell you to do or I'm gonna smack you. But that's how a lot of us think about God, is it not? A lot of us believe this about God. Now listen, We should do what God calls us to do because he is a king and a lord that is worthy to be worshipped. He is a God who is worthy to be obeyed. However, God also wants our hearts in that process. He wants joy in the midst of our obedience. This is true in our giving. This is true in the sharing of our faith or on the reading of his word, or praying, or fasting, or whatever it might be that God has called us to do. Obedience is really, really good, but God wants all of us involved in the process. The same is true in our giving. Tony Evans, who is a pastor and author up in Dallas, he says this of this verse. He says, giving is not only about the gift, but also the attitude behind it. We are to be cheerful in our giving because of an understanding that our capacity to give is determined by God and not by ourselves. When you know that God is your source, you could be cheerful in giving since you understand there would be no possibility of giving if He hadn't given to you first. The earth is the Lord, or the earth and everything in it belong to the Lord. Psalm 24, verse 1. Thus, one of the ways you know you are growing in your faith is when you give with a glad heart in response to the goodness of God. Giving should be a joy, not a job. Amen. Now, like with obedience, I think when we think about this, our question, like with obedience, was like, hey, how much should I give then? Like, I kind of get it. I see the scriptures telling me to do this, but how much should I give? And remember last week I said, wrong motivation. That's like saying, how far can I go before marriage? I think in a very similar way with our hearts, it's like, man, how do I uh, grow in this? Like, how do I produce emotion? Because all of us can be riled up, but joy is actually something that sits beneath the riling up emotion. It's something that wells up inside of us. How is it that we grow in this? Well, Paul actually continues in several ways of how we can grow in our joy. And so how do we engage the heart in the process? Well, the first thing is that we recognize that our resources are from God. We recognize where our resources are coming from, that they are from God, You see, when we see our finances or any resource, like our spiritual gifts even, when we rightly understand where the blessing is coming from, then we are able to not hold them as if they were our own, but rather we are to use them as a blessing, as a stewardship principle rather than goods to be consumed or gods to be worshiped. You see, we often treat finances like a good to be consumed or a God to be worshipped, rather than something that we are to steward for God's glory. Notice that Paul says about God here that he gives grace and sufficiency in all things. I want you to look at this. I know there's a lot of colors on the screen, because Paul is saying everything is coming from God. Notice that it's God that provides seed and God that provides bread. It is God that increases our righteousness, not us trying to perform in a certain way. God, through his Holy Spirit, produces righteousness within us. Even the thanksgiving goes back to God because we know where it all came from, God himself. And so our money and resources are really flowing through us towards God and towards God's people Maybe he said a little bit more helpfully, God could have chosen to just bless us all by himself. He doesn't need us, right? But he allows us to be a part of his mission and he literally resources us in the midst of that so that we can then distribute them to God and to his church and towards others who are in need, getting to play an undeserved role in the process. Come on now right? Like, see, if we see our resources are from God, then we don't feel like we're losing when we're giving. We realize that we are gaining because we're recognizing that we are stewarding it as God himself would. You see, if it's about you and if it's yours, then it is a loss, but it's not yours. It came from God, which means it's a gain as we are obedient to what he calls us to do. And this begins to increase joy because if it's yours and you lose, of course you would feel grief from that. But if it's God's and you give, you gain in the process. Secondly, our obedience is actually impacted by uh, the gospel profoundly, and so as we continue in active obedience, is the second point here, our hearts are actually engaged in the process. As we obey or trust God, we kind of engage the strength and the soul aspect. And as we engage the strength and the soul, this naturally begins to engage the heart. All of these work together, once again. Notice what Paul says here, that we decide in our hearts, or we respond in submission to the gospel, or we think about it as a ministry towards God, and you recognize that it then doesn't just increase your joy, but it increases others' joy as well. All of these things are very conscious things right? Submission or, um, or deciding or all of these things are very like practical things that you have to intellectually think about. And so as we continue in obedience, it begins to produce these emotions as well. When we give out of obedience with a right heart, when we think about how we're getting to be a part of the process, our joy increases as does everyone else's, a la Melissa and Brian's video, where she said, the more we give and as we think about the missionary that we bless, it increases our joy because we're seeing that we're a part of the kingdom of God. Maybe put a little bit more simply, uh, we continue in obedience because if we do it once, that's cool, but it just has a temporary effect. Y'all tracking with that? Right? Like, however, when we do it over and over and over again, and then we think with our minds what we are getting to be a part of, then this naturally increases our joy because we see the fruit of our sacrifice over the long haul and we realize how much good our giving is actually doing. You see, the cheerful giver understands what money is, that somehow, through material means, you can be a part of impacting somebody's spiritual eternity. Y'all catch that? Through material means, you impact spiritual realms. And so when we miss the heart of this or we miss the joy of it, and when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing but not reflecting on what we're getting to be a part of, we're missing the joy that God has intended for us, family. In fact, that's the third point, is that we reflect or we think it's a thoughtfulness that we remind ourselves of what God is calling us towards, and that increases our joy, In other words, we're recognizing where it's coming from. That's kind of a soul principle. We are continuing in obedience. That's kind of a strength principle. And we're continuing in active reflection. That's a mind principle. When our mind and our soul and our strength are engaged, then our heart naturally begins to awaken anyway, even if it's difficult for our heart to awaken because it's difficult to sacrifice like God has called us to. You know, part of the way that you grow in joy is through reflection. Once again, as you realize that your funds are going to make a difference, this brings you joy. Because really, y'all, it's a really simple but a powerful way to impact the kingdom. Like, it's not like it's costing us a whole lot. Like, it's literally out of our hands. It didn't come from us anyway. But somehow God takes that and the scripture says multiplies it for the glory of his name. Our simple obedience makes eternities change, y'all. This is good news. And when we give, once again, look at verse 12. It's a ministry to God's people because it's a reflection of God to his people back to yourself in a lot of ways as well. And our obedience, point two, also propels our giving. Maybe think about it in an analogy. If you're married or dating or you're trying to holler at somebody, then really, your obedience naturally propels your heart forward, does it not? Look, some of y'all are like, oh, yeah, you're thinking about that guy right now you're trying to holler at, right? I ain't going to point out nobody, but somebody got giddy thinking about some dude. You ain't hearing the rest of the sermon, all right? But look, as you're obedient, then you naturally begin to feel things in your heart. Now, early on, it's actually usually pretty easy to produce the feelings of our heart because there's a lot of allure or there's a lot of like mystery or like, man, what is this? But over time, it's very easy to lose those feelings. But do you know how you engage and have a healthy marriage over the long haul? You do the simple acts of obedience every day. And over time, your heart is way stronger with the than it was at the beginning, the older saints should have said, hallelujah, (laughs) because that is true, right? And I've seen that after a decade plus of being married, like our feelings, they wax and wane at times, but as our obedience stays consistent, then our feelings naturally grow over the long haul. The same is true in our giving family. And as we put these works together, as we engage the, the soul and the mind and the strength, then you produce the feelings of cheerfulness and joy once you realize what you are getting to be a part of. Paul, his final point here, I believe, is that he's highlighting that, hey, we grow in this emotion when we realize that we're a part of other people's blessings, or once again, that word just means happiness. So not only is giving to our benefit, Not only is giving a ministry to God, but it's also a ministry to others as well. Notice in verse 13 and 14 again, Paul says that this giving created this deep mutual bond and love, and this benefited them because they responded with prayers for them. Y'all tracking with that? Like, They gave and they're like, man, thank you. And then they prayed, which was better anyway. Remember the spiritual reality? I would rather lose all my money but have everybody praying for me than have the world and no prayers for my soul. And so as they were giving, it returned spiritually upon them. Notice he says, your zeal, which is an emotional response, your passion in giving spurred others on as well. And when you do that, you bless everyone. So Paul says, look, because you have received grace and others receive the blessing in your giving, God's kingdom is in advance and therefore God is glorified and in a way that actually multiplies on itself. So you give. And then others benefit from that giving and this increases their joy and their work in the gospel and then God is glorified and then you receive joy and blessing from God, which then allows you to do more work, which allows more people to be blessed, which God then responds with more uh, affection and blessing and love towards you and then you give more and they receive more and the more work is done and it's kind of this cyclical process that multiplies on itself. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, Jesus gave us the same principle when he was on earth walking amongst us. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, it'll be on the screen as well, but verses 28 through 34, he says this, But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." sell your possessions and give to the needy and provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. (laughs) This is a rich passage that I wish I could go more into a little bit. Like, first of all, Jesus says, listen, give because God is giving you the kingdom, like, dag. <laughs> like, think about the realities of that family. But this idea that he ends with there about not being anxious, giving generously, knowing where your treasures are coming, knowing that every time you give a dollar on earth, it is storing up in your bank account in heaven and that will never fade or perish. He says then that this idea of your heart will then follow your actions, is where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now this can work in two ways. It can work in one sense that your treasures reveal your heart. And so if I look at your bank account and see what you spend the most money on, I can probably tell what you most love or worship. That ain't convicting for you? I wrote that and was like, ooh. (laughs) Right? And there's truth to this, y'all. Now, some things are necessity, right? Like, we live in Austin. I have a house. It is expensive. That's where a lot of my money is going. I actually don't like my house at all, so I'm not worshiping that, right? And yet, because I have to think about it all the time, guess what I'm always thinking about? And so then when there's a little tiny crack in the foundation, I'm like, my foundation is falling. (laughs) And it's producing emotion, is it not? My heart is following my treasure, It could also work the other way too, though, in that where your treasures are, then your heart will follow, as I just gave with the house analogy. And so if you invest a bunch of money into movies, then your heart will naturally begin to fall in love with what? With movies, with film, right? If you spend a bunch of money on Jordans, you will be on the sneaker app twice a day seeing when the new releases are. I ain't talking to y'all, I'm talking to me, okay? Like your heart, it follows your money. Y'all tracking? And so if you invest in the kingdom, then your heart will naturally begin to think about and desire more directly the kingdom, y'all. Our heart follows our obedience. And so using money to impact the kingdom can engage the heart and help us feel this joy that we get to be a part of something we have no privilege being a part of, that we are moving the kingdom of God forward. Or we are pushing back darkness that God's name will be glorified. And this should produce joy. We can use our money in this way. And so we have joy in our money and all of these other ways. If we really think about this, right? Like this principle, it always works on the reverse side. You're cheerful when you get those new Js. Or you're cheerful when you get that new iPhone or that new car or that new house. We allow money to bring us joy in other areas because we think about it think about the kingdom of God, church family, and it will naturally begin to bring joy into your hearts. You see, we tend to just not really think about it, and that's why we are missing out on joy so much. In fact, I want to do something. Live illustrations are always real dangerous, but this one I feel pretty safe with. I said that one time, and only one person stood up, and I was like, well, all right, never do that again. I want you to do this, okay? If you have been blessed by the well, made happy, made joyful, right? I'm using that word intentionally. We're thinking about joy and heart and giving here. So think about it in all the different ways. Maybe the preaching has blessed you or worship has blessed you or your community groups have blessed you or uh, the children's ministry blessed your kids and maybe you didn't even really like the sermon but you was away from your kids for an hour and that made your heart happy, (laughs) right? Or whatever it might have been, like if you've been blessed by the well in some way, would you actually stand up for me? It's okay if you're not standing. Don't cap in here. Look at this, right? Like, look around. You can't even see everybody, right? Okay, y'all can sit down. Now, I was going to do this, but I don't want to embarrass anybody because that's not what this is about, all right? So I will just say this. If you have given to the well, that's what your giving has done. Did you see everybody that was blessed by the ministries of the well? And sometimes we're like, oh, I don't really understand what that $10 is doing, but maybe that $10 went to providing a lunch that she could sit down with somebody and begin to minister to them in the gospel. And maybe a marriage was saved, or maybe discipleship happened, or maybe that provoked somebody to love the Lord that caused them to share their faith. And that person didn't even get saved, but they brought somebody else and they came to church and they came to faith. And it's hard for us to see what our money actually does unless we start to look and we go, my gosh God has taken these small gifts and he's multiplied it that his name would be known y'all we gotta think about it right man now listen many of us we struggle in engaging the heart in fact we did a survey of all of our covenant members you can see it up on the screen and we said hey which of these are you strongest in and that was it we just had a little quick context at our business meeting and that's what it produced Now, most of us said, look, we're obedient givers. 60% of us, right? Like, I just give. That's where I'm strongest at. I'm just, I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing. How come our heart is so low? I believe because we don't press into things like this. If you think about it, though, y'all, like, think about what you're getting to do. When you see the baptism, if you've given anything, you need to realize that you're probably a part of that in some way, shape, or form. That's true in our serving." That's true in our time, and that's true in our treasures. My encouragement would be to press into this, family. Now listen, like each good thing, there are potential pitfalls as well. If we are too emotional-driven, if you look at the bottom there, there's pitfalls when we over-focus on any of them. So you can become overly emotional. You can give when when it feels good only, neglecting obedience and thoughtfulness and sacrifice that God calls for. It's actually why we don't like doing the giving after the sermon, because even though, to be real with you, from a flow perspective, it would feel better, We don't ever want you to feel like you're coerced into doing something. We don't need your money, nor does God. You need to give, as we talked about last week, for your own soul. And so if we are only thinking about when it feels good, then we actually miss out on the blessing that comes with having a cheerful heart. Or we neglect our obedience in the process You see, we can withhold these things that make us kind of temporarily, or we withhold money for things that make us temporarily feel better, neglecting the greater truth that it's better to give than it is to receive, family. You know, we could be tempted to like, I don't feel like it, so then we don't do it. That's not what I'm saying in all of this. Obedience, last week, actually helps create the feeling in the process, a la the marriage analogy. This feeling, though, is a tool to help us recognize the posture of our hearts. When we never feel, we must ask, well then, where are our hearts at? Like, are we not thinking about the kingdom? Do we not really believe about the impact of the spiritual eternity? Are we doing what Jesus did and concerned with the treasures on earth, knowing that God has always provided for me? Right? Or is our heart showing us that we're beginning to believe in the kingdom more and more? Both extremes must be avoided overemphasis on one or underemphasis on another. And think here with me, y'all, about the benevolence of God and why we should have joy in the process. Like, think with me real quick. Do you get blessed for following the law? Like, think about it. In some ways, a short answer is like, well, yeah, I guess kind of. But, like, you should stop at stop signs, right? Now, I don't, but you should, okay? (laughs) Okay. right. We like you don't get rewarded when you do that. Like there's not a cop after a stop sign and you stop and he pulls you over and he's like, my gosh, good job, brother. (laughs) Right. That doesn't make any sense. You should be doing that. Listen, we should be giving. And yet God then comes and blesses us when we do something that we should be doing anyway. Think about the benevolence of God there. This by itself should produce joy, family. You see God allows us to do these crazy things with material means to be a blessing to him and a blessing to kingdom and a blessing to his people, and then he in turn blesses us which increases the joy of our own soul. And this is found most truly in the person and work of Jesus. In fact, if you look back at verse 15, After Paul gives all of these ideas about blessing and all of these ideas about giving, and it's almost like he's overwhelmed with all of this emotion, he just has to stop and worship and says, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. You see, God is the ultimate giver. And because of that, it should actually produce in us the ultimate joy. First, let me say this. It is hard for us to give what we have not ourselves received. Y'all hear that? So if the gospel that you received is that you're not going to hell, then it's more about what you don't get rather than what you do get, and it would make sense why it's hard for you to have joy. Y'all following that? Like Jesus gave himself to us and desired to give us a kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the scripture says. You see, the true gospel is not just about getting out of hell. It is getting an abundance of God's benevolent blessing. It is God giving us eternity and God giving to us eternally and God giving us this inexpressible gift, Jesus himself, y'all. This is what we get, family of God. In fact, can I paint a picture of the kingdom of heaven for you, according to Revelation? It says that we get there, and when we are finally in heaven, y'all, like the time that we finally see the goodness of God, and when we realize what we've been saved from, and we see the beauty of Christ on full display, that is the moment that we should worship on our face for all eternity. But that's not what happens. You see, God comes and sits us down, And he sits us at a table and it says that Jesus treads the wine presses and makes the food and comes to us and gives us a new name and gives us the plate and gives us and gives and gives. Even in the kingdom of God where we should be giving all allegiance to Jesus forever, he's still giving. This is a benevolent God. This is the God that we serve. God by nature is a giver, so when we don't give, we're robbing ourselves of the image of God within us, and we cease to become like him, which is why we're always fishing for joy and missing the simple measures that God has for our joy in the process. Notice how Jesus modeled this, and his heart engaged even at the most uh, difficult time in his life. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, many of you probably know this well, but it says that we are to look to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, what does it say? For the joy set before him, it was joy, that he despised the shame, or just endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. It was for the joy set before him that he endured, When on the cross, his heart was focused on you. Do you hear that? When on the cross of Christ, as the sin is being poured on Jesus, it was the joy that was set before him that he endured. What was the joy? Go read the rest of Hebrews 12. The glorification and his reward, which is you. God's heart was joyful even in his suffering And when we give, we're doing nothing but modeling our King Jesus in the process. And so it makes sense that as we give, our hearts become engaged. And so family, I want us to think about how we can engage our heart in our giving. In this series, we're thinking about generosity, but that's true in our serving, y'all. That's true in our talents. That's true in any way that we are able to serve God. We are able to uh, produce joy that makes us come alive because we're really just acting like God in the process. There's a couple of ways that we're doing that, and I'll mention this every week just to tee it up for us. One, on week five of the series, we're in week two, so I guess in three weeks from now, we're doing a commitment Sunday. And on that Sunday, we're going to commit as a church to a couple of different things. For some of us, our commitment is actually going to be to move into obedience. Like we're not doing anything, and we just want to trust God and His scripture and say, man, I want to go from 0% to 2% giving, and that would be awesome. For some of us, he's actually already uh, increasing our obedience, but we need to activate other measures, and so maybe our finances are in shambles, and we need to take a financial peace pla- uh, class or a money-wise class so that we're able to know what to do with our finances so that we can be generous in the first place, and rather than giving to Wells Fargo, we can give to the kingdom of God. Get out of debt, right? Or whatever it might be, or maybe it's actually giving above and beyond that we would experience the joy of that. We have something called a vision fund, which is the next slide here, where we want to be really intentional to raise above and beyond what we normally collect to begin to do things that we desire to do as a church family. One of them is that we would be giving to our biggest need, which at some place we need to find a church building because while Westover is hospitable, I'm not sure if that hospitality will last for forever, And it's a little bit expensive. (laughs) And we'd rather be where we feel called to be so we can plant churches up and down the 35 corridor. And so we want to move into that and prep our hearts for that. But there's other things as well. One of our biggest focuses this year is towards a minority residency. You heard that last week as well. When we think about all the people who want to do ministry but aren't able to step into ministry because they aren't able to support raise because of them being minorities usually and from lower economic statuses at times and just the culture that exists, we want to shatter through that barrier and say anybody who feels called to ministry, we want to raise up. And in fact, we know that we can help provide the funding and the training to be able to do that because of our staff team. We want to have a, a, the a money towards the largest vision, which is church planting, both nationally and internationally. We already set aside almost 20% of our money to go towards church planting nationally and internationally. We want to set aside another 20% from this to go towards that same thing as well because this is our biggest vision as a church. We want to accelerate that. And then we want to have an impact in the city as well. And so what does it look like to take some of these funds and serve Austin and think about how that can bless them literally for generations to come? Now listen, we don't have to do any of this. You don't have to do this. We get to do this. So for some of us, It's moving towards obedience. For some of us, it's scattering a little bit more broadly. For some, we need to see the church plant and realize what we are a part of. Regardless of what it is, family of God, I believe that God wants your hearts engaged. And as you engage your heart, you experience joy. And as you experience joy, you come alive. I'll end by saying the same thing I said last week. We don't need your money. That's not what this is about, okay? God doesn't need your money. He owns all things, You need to give because as you give, it releases the chains that money often grip on us and it allows us to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God and that's for our joy. And so we don't need it. You need it. But as you give, we can use it, receive the blessing like you talked about. And that cyclical process begins and hopefully we have several hundred more people standing up that they've been blessed because of our generosity. Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray for us. Um, yeah. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness to us, God. You give and you give and you give. Man, you're good. God, I pray for anybody in here who does not know you as God. They don't know you as Savior. They have never made you Lord over their life. Friends, I want you to know that we deeply believe this as Christians. We want to give of our material because we believe the spiritual is so much more valuable. But for you, I mean, I don't think God wants anything from you. God wants to give to you. You see, God gave us the gift of his son that whoever believes in him, they would have life forever. They would have Jesus. They would have joy, peace, hope, all things that are found in Christ. And so rather than you giving and trying to appease God, I mean, that's not how we appease God. God gave us himself. And I would encourage you to receive the gift of God today. And Jesus, for all of us who have received you as our God, who have received you as our Lord, who you have given to us, man, Jesus, would we give back to you. And I pray that as we give, our joy would increase. Thank you for, man, really that scandalous grace, God. (laughs) You should require it and not even bat an eye when you demand it. (laughs) Instead, you beckon us to be a part. I pray we would hear that and trust you, test you, see you moving, Jesus. And I pray, like the Tapperson shared, and like many testimonies probably are in this room, that as we give, we get to see you moving. And ultimately, Jesus, more than blessing over this congregation and body, more than financial wealth or more even than health or whatever it might be, I pray the blessing of yourself. God, I pray as these men and women trust you as they're faithful in giving whatever they might have, Maybe they can't give financially. Maybe they, they're out of a job right now, but they're giving of, of their time or, or of their talents or even just of relationship to others. I pray that they would uh, receive your grace, more faith, your love in the process. Praise in your very beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.